Lou Fowl will take a shot downfield. And it is handed by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Of course, we're playing Arizona State Saturday. I have a lot of respect for uh, Todd Graham um, and uh, how he runs his program and, and, and what he does. Um, and uh, he'll have them ready to play. They'll be blitzing, walking off the bus. That's what he loves to do. So um, it's always uh, um, fun going up against him and what they do there. And they've got a heck of a football team. They're five and one, and uh, they're really good. And they've been good um, for a while. And uh, so it's going to be a tough test for us here. Um, but I'm glad we're playing at Folsom. Our kids love playing at Folsom. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. Welcome into this week's Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mostertag, your publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin, and we are recording this at GQ Barbecue in Westminster, 120th and Sheridan. Best barbecue in town, Tyler. Yeah, definitely. Uh, throughout Colorado, for sure, that I've had. Um, Colorado's definitely a little white on the barbecue, so it's awesome when you showed me this place one time previously we'd been here. I will be coming back many times. It's delicious. My buddy Jason Ganahl is the owner here, and uh, I've tried almost everything on the menu, have not had one bad meal. I will say the ribs and brisket are must-tries. Uh, if you like sausages, they're, they're cheddar, jalapeno, sausage is pretty legit. Biggest endorsement for this place is the fact that my five-year-old daughter will not eat meat. She refuses to, but she always wants to come. To, she calls it Jason's Restaurant, and she just devours the ribs. So that's the ultimate stamp of approval. Let's get into some football talk here, Tyler. Patrick Godosi and I shared our thoughts after the USC game on a, on a special podcast. Wanted to get your thoughts, your reaction to their uh, four-point loss to the Trojans. Uh, well, there's a couple ways you can look at it, obviously, for sure. Um, anytime you get four turnovers, you feel like you have a chance to win the game, and they weren't able to do that. So that's disappointing to some degree, for sure. But at the same time, I was at the last two USC games at USC, and it was a lot uglier than that. So um, I know people don't want to talk about moral victories at this point, and that's fine. Um, I predicted them to lose in a somewhat close game. That's what it turned out to be. Well, more low scoring than we expected, but at the end of the day, I felt like we didn't play that well, and we were still right there with a really talented team in their own building. So um, we'll see how the rest of the season shakes out. I mean, if, if we start to go the wrong direction, this could be the game that people point to as where it fell apart. Uh, I don't expect that to happen by any stretch of the imagination. I think the Buffs will be just fine. They're, they look just as talented as USC in certain key areas of the game. Um, got dominated in the trenches a little bit, but uh, I think they can bounce back from that as the season goes along. O-line had looked pretty good previous to that. So to me, um, there wasn't a whole lot of disappointment in my eyes. Uh, obviously, you want to win the game, but I thought they came to play. A little added disappointment in the fact that you know that now that if Colorado had won that football game, ESPN's game day would have come out in Boulder, and that would have been uh, obviously pretty cool, another kind of sign of this program's emergence. Uh, so hopefully at some point they can they can convince ESPN to come out or maybe actually get on ESPN yeah. for a football game. I was going to say, were they going to switch us to an ESPN telecast if they did that? Or is the game still going to be on Pac-12? That would have been actually really funny if 
game day was in town and it was still on the Pac-12 <laughs> network. Yeah, it's, I don't know, dude. I'm getting tired of the Pac-12 network, man. Like, it's cool. Thanks for being on TV and everything. It's good for business at Blake Street because no one has it, so everybody has to come to watch yeah, the right? game with us. But, dude, I think we've proven that we deserve to be on at least one nationally televised game throughout the conference schedule. It's getting pretty ugly. So we're going to run through some to topics I'm going to get into an interview I had with Addison Gillen this week. Of course, we always do the Buff Stampede mailbag. Tyler Ziskin's power rankings, and then we'll talk a little men's basketball at the very end. So for the fourth straight week, the quarterback situation for the Buffaloes is up in the air. I have a feeling, though, Sefalufau was healthy enough to be the backup in the last game. I expect to see him out there on Saturday. I hope he is because he's my pick to click. So that would be a real wasted effort if he doesn't play. <laughs> no, but seriously, I think it's the right move for the program if he's healthy enough to go. I think you saw in that USC game, Steven Montez still has a lot to learn um, in terms of getting things done on the road. Didn't play terrible by any stretch, but uh, I think Seppo's just command of the offense. You can see when he came in, he definitely has a better command of the, t of the pace, especially. Um, Montez has done a good job with that when things are rolling, but it's when things are struggling that you need to be able to keep that up. Uh, I think the offense runs a little smoother with Seppo out there, even though he's throwing a few ducks. It still looked like the offense was moving pretty smoothly with him healthy. Um, Honestly, though, I, we'll see how it plays out. Um, if he's not 100%, I can see Montez coming in for some packages potentially in this game. But I'm hoping that with Arizona State's woes uh, in passing defense that this game will kind of be an easy comeback for Seth Owen. He's got to kind of get his feet wet and get comfortable again for conference play. And it kind of goes into my pick to click, uh, which you'll hear us talk more about, is the O-line this week needs to step up. And that was one of maybe the disappointments you took from that USC game. It seemed like they took a step back. Aaron Hagler is out this week, but I don't think you much of a drop off there with junior Sam Cronsage. Obviously, those guys were battling in camp. Those guys got to come ready to play on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. That's an important part of what we do. Uh, you've seen both times now, second half in Michigan and in the first half, especially at USC. When, when we give up pressures, it makes it hard for the offense to click. Um, so we got to give the quarterbacks at least a second more time. It seems like we carve up teams as soon as you, as you give Sefa uh, or Montez any semblance of time in the pocket. Offensive line's going to have to be able to do that for a team that loves to blitz in Arizona State. Well, we just got some delicious food dropped off here, and I'm not going to wait any longer to eat this. So, Tyler, let's take a break here real quick. We'll be back. <laughs> All right, we're back. Well fed. I, I don't. Uh, I don't think I've had a better meal. I'm. I'm. I'm not even overselling it. It was that good. I'm pretty sure I'm taking the rest of the day off. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna go get me some leftovers and just sit on my couch all day and see if I can gain 10 pounds. So Arizona State coming out to Boulder. They came out with that slogan, maybe the lamest slogan in the history of the world a couple years ago: "Fear the fork." It's a five-on-one team. How much are you fearing that fork, Tyler? Well, right now I'm fearing it a lot because I just tried to not eat all my leftovers already. So. <laughs> I, I, now I understand what it truly means. Um, but in terms of football, not very much, which is probably not wise considering they've destroyed us in the past. Um, I'm almost kind of getting a sense now. I feel really confident in this game, and I'm kind of getting worried that maybe it's an overconfidence because it's not just me. Everybody else is starting to share this opinion as well, which is usually leaves me uneasy. But there are just so many injuries for this team. They have not impressed even when healthy, especially defensively. Um, close home wins against Texas Tech, who's a solid Big 12 team, but nothing crazy by any means. Also gave up 55 in that game. Um, last week, beating UCLA, Josh Rosen went out with injury twice. 
they've been super disappointing. Um, not to give Arizona State no credit for that, because obviously they have a part in that as well. But I don't know. Just watching them play, it just you'd be hard pressed to convince me that they're as talented as we are on the field. Just watching enough of their games and enough of ours. It just seems so obvious that we're better. The really only chance I see Arizona State having in this football game is if Kalen Balazs just goes absolutely off, which he's he did earlier in the season. Was it an eight-touchdown performance yeah. or something ridiculous? Yeah, against Texas Tech, I want to say it was the eight-touchdown game. Um, yeah, that obviously could be an issue. Uh, USC ran the ball on us pretty effectively. The D-line's got to step up a bit, in my opinion, as long as the linebackers in this game, for sure. Collage is a terror. And uh, Demario Richard as well is a good running back. Yeah, they definitely have the ability to run the ball. To me, though, it's going to be a turnover-type situation as well, especially if the O-line struggling last week and them being heavy blitz packages. We're going to have to make them pay for those blitz packages rather than that us, rather than them making us pay. Uh, turnovers are going to be important, as they always are in Pac-12 contests. Uh, we'll see how it plays out, but to me, if we can get an early lead and kind of make them pass the ball on us with a true freshman quarterback or a guy who's injured, I think that bodes well for us. Scale it for me, Tyler. Scale it 1 to 10. How much does it hurt to see Kalen Bellage in a Sun Devils uniform, knowing that there were people in his family that, that wanted to see him following his uncle's legacy at CU, and uh, they, they had a puncher's chance there at the end? Yeah, honestly, I think I'm kind of just numb to the whole Colorado recruiting process from that stretch of time. Like, he's obviously a really good player, and I wish that we would have had but it just seems like throughout that entire run, we just had no chance of any of those guys, so it was hard for me to really get too disappointed. Obviously, he'd be huge for our program. He's kind of that home run threat type player that a lot of the people on the board are clamoring, clamoring for, you know? Plus, yeah. anytime you have a kid from Colorado perform well at the college level, have a chance to go into the NFL, you want that to be a guy that is a staple of your program and not somebody else's in your conference. But honestly, I don't think about Kalen Balazs a whole lot. I'm probably in the minority there. But it's just one of those things that I never really felt like we had a chance with most of those top-end kids from Colorado. So I, they kind of just slipped my mind. And it's, it's worked out well for Kalen there at Arizona State. He's obviously had a great career there. So uh, you can't fault him for, for picking the Sun Devils really without question. Whenever there's a poll on our board, or I've even seen this on all buffs talking about, you know, and this is a discussion because Colorado doesn't have a rival in the Pac-12 yet, the discussion comes up of which team do you hate the most, and it seems like Arizona State always gets the most votes. Yeah, they, we did a free ball and pot, um, one of the first episodes we did for the Pac-12, and they won our vote as well uh, pretty easily. I might add, um, they are probably my least favorite team in the Pac-12 in terms of actual on-field product. Um, Arizona is my least favorite team because I hate their fan base. But Arizona State is my least favorite. I hate both of their coaches. Uh, Hurley's not as bad, but especially when Sendak was there for basketball, I hated him too. The whole Jordan Pachinski, Josh Scott situation, I was really unhappy with that. Arizona State kind of plays dirty in both both sports. I mean, you see Vontae's perfect in the NFL. That's like the perfect example of Arizona State to me. I, they just I, they just totally rub me the wrong way. Their jerseys are trash. I just, I'm not a big Arizona State guy. Although, Scott, the, going to the games there is a lot of fun. I love Mill, but yeah, not a big Arizona State guy. Most are going traditional for this game. Homecoming. I think it's a good time to finally break out uh, those gold, gold helmets. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, 
know, as much as I love all the new uniform combinations and make fun of everybody who blasts whatever one we throw out there for the week, the traditionals are always going to have a special place in my heart. Uh, that's what you grew up watching as a college student. Obviously, we were the same jerseys for the most part. Uh, you see, when we were in town, you know, winning national championships, stuff those really bold black uniforms with the gold helmets. That's just like what you think of when you think of powerhouse Colorado football. Um, and the traditionals have worked out well for us, so I hope it, uh, hope it continues this week. I, I know McIntyre and the boys have been saying that they're not going to lose a game in Colorado, or that's the, the motto, that's how they're approaching the season. This is one that they need to have big time because UCLA and Stanford, while more winnable games than I think we expected this year, you don't want to take your chances to have to win one of those two games, in my opinion. Arizona State is the one that's in front of you that's the most reasonable, and I think they got to take full advantage. What is it now? It's 147 to 20. They've outscored teams in the state of Colorado so far this year. Is that right? Uh, well, yeah, geez, 44 to 7. Because it was 100 to 14 the first two games, and then they beat Oregon State 47 to 6. Yeah, dang, that's crazy. Yes. I never really put that together. Uh, we both predicted blowouts, I suppose, so we'll see. But, uh,. Yeah, I mean, that would be, I'd, I'd like to see a 50 spot thrown up on Arizona State. No one deserves it more. <laughs> well, there's going to be a huge recruiting weekend as well for the Buffaloes. Of course, we'll start talking about the DeSoto trio that's coming out there. Xavier Newman, currently verbally committed to Texas, but giving the Buffs uh, a chance, at least uh, in terms of coming out to visit. Uh, you've got Katie Nixon, a four-star athlete type, uh, a guy that I think is going to be a really good football player wherever he ends up playing when he gets to college. And then LaVisca Chenault, uh, the Buffalo's top-rated commitment right now. That group right there, if it was just those three guys coming out this weekend, in previous years people would be excited. And that's just yeah. the beginning for this weekend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dimitri Moore coming out as well um, from Texas. Uh, you got Keegan Williams, another four-star Texas kid coming out. Uh, I put a, tw a tweet up last night. We have four four-stars and four high-profile three-stars, guys like right on the cusp, coming in for one weekend, including two commits, Alex Fontenot. Well, I guess three. Fontenot, Will Chanel, and Will Sherman. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that those are some huge names. Got to mention Josh Follow, Trajan Cotton. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, guys who have pretty much the pick of where they want to go, in terms of offers around the country. Huge programs in Texas, nationally ranked. It's impressive haul for sure. I mean, they're, and they're all gonna get along with each other, all from Texas. I think you're gonna feel a little bit of that camaraderie. We saw how that worked out the last time we got all these kids out together. Um, and, it, and previous to that as well, at the picnic. So I think we, should, we could see some commitments out of this weekend and a few that CU fans would get pretty excited about. Hate to tease things on this podcast, but again, we'll have more on the recruits and the impact uh, in terms of uh, what, what it could mean with those guys coming out this weekend, as well as I'm sure I'll have some additional tidbits as we get closer to the weekend on the uh, message board uh, on buffstampede.com. Let's now jump into my interview with the inside linebacker, Addison Gillum. Addison, it seems like you're kind of getting into a groove a little bit, uh, at least from the outside looking in. How, how does it feel for you? Uh, it feels really good, finally. Okay. I'm feeling a little in shape a little bit. I think that was the biggest thing at the beginning of the year is go off for four plays and I'd be dead. And now I can finally like run and get back to myself and play how I like to play, running around and everything. Was, good. was there a breakthrough moment for you? Um, I don't know. I really got excited for Oregon just because I was like my biggest game my freshman year. And like, <clears throat> I don't know, I like that type of playing against that type of offense and everything. And uh, I think that's kind of where I noticed like. I kind of changed my pregame stuff and my mental 
like the mental approach to it, and I think that helped a lot. Is it when you get out there and you start making some plays, is it kind of like a, a confidence builder? Does it like seem like momentum's kind of building for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah. How are you guys bouncing back from from the USC game? Um, I mean, that was last week, so everybody's kind of just focused on this week. It's, I haven't seen anybody getting like a, uh, I don't know, uh, we're preparing well for this week, which is good, so I don't think it's affecting us too much. I mean, we're ready to go and play, but we got to worry about this week. USC had some early season struggles, but that looked like a pretty darn good football team that you guys played. Yeah, yeah, they're a good team. Um, I mean, we just got to focus on this week now. Yeah. Arizona State, you mentioned focusing on this week. This is a, a, a program that you guys have struggled with since joining the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, is that is there consciousness of that in the locker room, of, of maybe this is another hurdle you guys can get over as a program? Um, I think so, a little bit. Um, everybody remembers our freshman year there, and I think, I mean, a lot of the guys that I'm around, uh, like the linebackers and stuff, Kale and them that have been here, we all remember <clears throat> the last few years, and it's, it's not a good taste in our mouth, and, I mean, we have a bad taste in our mouth from last week too, so... It's just, yeah, I think so. Arizona State runs some of that wildcat formation with Kalen Balaj out there. As a linebacker, what, what, what is the biggest challenge in terms of getting ready for that? Um, uh, just kind of seeing where he's going and stuff, seeing uh, their formations and stuff. They tell you a lot um, where they line up and everything. So I think getting just enough film time in and being able to recognize those formations be a lot easier. They uh, have had some injuries at their quarterback position. Uh, how, do, how does that affect your preparation for this game? Uh, we're doing a little bit, little bit more of everything. I'm not really focusing on just like the quarterback stuff, like uh, the keeping and or the dive read and all that, but uh, focusing a lot more on Wildcat and those types of situations. There was a, a quick moment where you uh, stepped away from the football team. Now having the success, seeing the success the team has had this season, I, I would imagine it, it feels like pretty gratifying that, that you've kind of stuck through some of the challenges yeah. you faced here. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's one of the biggest things. Like, I, I just didn't want to leave my teammates. And now being here with them and getting to experience all this, like, that would have sucked to not, <laughs> to not be able to be out here. Coach Max always talked about the goal is to win a Pac-12 championship. Were you guys on board from, from moment one when he said that, or was there a moment when, when you guys felt there was 100% buy-in to that? Uh, I think this summer people really started to, to notice it and feel it and really believe it just because like we were seeing gains that we'd never seen really before. We were, like, uh, we were having uh, our player run practices and stuff. It was a lot more serious, a lot more intense. Like People were focused. Also. Um, but, yeah, I think – this summer was probably the biggest turnaround. You guys uh, are in the thick of the race now. Do you feel pretty confident about your chances here going into the second half of the season? Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait. Thanks, Addison. Right Appreciate it, man. Tyler, Addison's been flying around. We're starting to see sparks of the old Addison out there. It's been great to see. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, impressed me the last three weeks. It's nice because I think it's important for our defense to have. Ken Felibody obviously has had a huge year getting Addison in there as well to be a reliable second weapon for them. A little more speed than Rick Ball I think is important, especially as we get into Pac-12 play where a lot of these teams have a lot of speed offense. And I actually asked Mike McIntyre about Addison Gillum, and he made a joke that he loves seeing him fly around out there, but he wishes he would cut his hair a little bit. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Either that or he was joking that him and NJ follow need to get a head and shoulders sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, dude, NJ's especially. <laughs> Always looks so nice out there. He's got great hair. Great hair. Troy Palomalu. Yeah. You have questions and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. 
the Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Golf Pro Buff asked, has the staff surveyed the area of the new practice fields for Todd Graham spy cams? I will say it was kind of eerie earlier this week. There were these massive crows just flying around that I had not seen hanging around the bus practice fields. I think maybe Todd Graham's going medieval with his spying this week. Oh, they just got government special agency crows. They got <laughs> trained. Uh, they're coming back and giving them little, like, you know, dots and drawing lines for them of what the play calls are with their beats. By the way, crows suck. Worst bird. <laughs> Worst bird out there. Uh, Ryan Konigsberg is the official bird savant of Buffs Twitter. So we'll we're we're going to get his advice. As much as he loves birds, I don't even think Ryan could like crows. What's the like about a crow? I don't think he likes crows either. I, I, he said on the podcast one time his least favorite bird, and it wasn't a crow. But it was something similar. Okay, okay. Sand Buff asked, Bryce Bobo is good size and is having a breakout year. If that continues and there's a chance, is there a chance he enters the NFL draft next spring? If so, how high could he be drafted? I'm a Bryce Bobo fan, and I'm not hoping he moves on, but there could be a logjam at wide receiver next year, and moving on as a high pick could be a good thing. I don't think you should worry about that right now. Honestly. Yeah, out of the three wide receivers, I would say he is not the most likely to move on early as a wide receiver at this point. Um, I honestly don't think any of them are going to be leaving early. I love Bryce Bobo. I think he's a really talented player. I think we need to slow down with the NFL draft pick top slightly. He's played four or five really good games at the college level. Most of the time, the NFL is going to ask for more than that before you start becoming a draft pick. So I know we're not really used to having these NFL guys on our roster this much at this level of talent, but I think all those wide receivers will be back next year. I don't think there's too much question. And, and just think about this. Think about how good Paul Richardson and Nelson Spruce were at CU. Yeah. And Bryce look Bobo's how hard it is for them to have an impact in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. I, that's a great way to put it. Uh, you have to be an absolute monster at the college level to be considered to be drafted um, into the NFL. It's just a different world. Bryce Bobo is a talented player. There's no question. I mean, I've been talking him up saying he needs more playing time for years at this point, but not not an NFL guy or at least a high-level pick at this point. He's got a chance. I think the biggest thing will be does he have the – uh, ability to separate from really athletic defensive backs at the next level when, when that time comes. Yeah, I think his top end speed is not quite what you're looking for. Great um, athlete in terms of, like, if you put him in a, people say put him in a phone booth, yeah. really quick. Um, it's going to make people miss in the open field with just that top level speed. Plus, he's a little small. I mean, um, in terms of physical uh, stature wise, he's not as big as some of these guys in the NFL that you see out there. I mean, he has a chance, obviously, but I don't think he's going to be leading early. His hands will give him a puncher's chance at the next level. Do1980R had this to say, pass rush struggle. Do you think they blitz more to make up for Derek being out? If Wilkins is out there at less than 100% of his normal mobility, it seems like they might have some success getting to him. I think Jim Levitt is going to have some fun with this game. Yeah, um, I've talked about this throughout the season. That kind of underrated worry that I had was our pass rush. Um, honestly, by and large, so far, they've been pretty successful. Uh, Jimmy Gilbert has been a big part of that, but he's got to be a little more consistent in the other parts of this game for me. Uh, but having those big impact plays, those forced fumbles on the sacks, that's where I think we really need to make that next step. Trying to get to the quarterback and make him feel it. 
Uh, we're getting a sack every now and then. A lot of the time it's a coverage sack, though. We haven't been quite as aggressive there as I would like to see. I'd love to see Cheeto be more up uh, at the line of scrimmage than he has been so far this year. Obviously, he's a tremendous cover corner and he shuts down the side of the field, but I think we are missing a little bit of that playmaking from him. I'd like to see that as a wrinkle coming up here soon, maybe. It's not that he's played bad, but he's missed some tackles recently, which is so uncharacteristic for Cheeto. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, I think he's playing a different position than he's used to in this defense, so it's a little bit getting used to um, for him. But yeah, it'd be nice to see him obviously that Michigan play where we had that sack uh, fumble for a touchdown. A few more of those plays from Cheeto would be huge for us. Speaking of Cheeto, we got a question from L. How would you pronounce that? Cunado. Cunado, 99. Why does Cheeto always wear a green mouthpiece? Drives me crazy. Yeah, it's apparently a flavored mouthpiece. It's mint flavored. If they come out with a black licorice flavor, maybe you can switch over to, to a black book yeah. there. Or uh, I don't know, what, what's a yellow one? I, of course, just made that up. I, of course, just made that up. I have no idea. No, it's because he likes CSU. I actually uh, told Brian Howell I'd give him some money if uh, he asked Mike McIntyre in the middle of his press conference on Tuesday about the mouthpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would have been kind of an, most, one of the more oddball questions that Mike McIntyre would have received all season. Mike, Brian Howell thought about it for a second, but he wasn't willing to do it. Yeah. Uh, Next time I see Cheeto, though, I will ask, ask him. I'm assuming he's angry because of the color is CSU related. That's yeah. the only thing I can think of. I mean, it is obviously stands out amongst the uniform. It's kind of a weird choice, but it's his mouthpiece. He can wear whatever he wants, I suppose. <laughs> Buff Predictor asks, can you go over the ASU quarterback situation? For what different scenarios the staff is preparing the team? So it's either going to be a hobbled Manny Wilkins coming back from a high ankle sprain with very, very limited practice time or it's going to be a fourth-string true freshman quarterback that, talking to people out in Tempe, do not think he is ready to play in a Pac-12 football game. And uh, now Kalen Balazs will be in that. They call it the Sparky formation because, of course, the Wildcat is their rival. They can't call it the Wildcat formation, but I think you'll see a heavy dose of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going to have a lot of guys up in the line of scrimmage if that happens. Honestly, I think you have to let Akello and Cheeto or Akello and Isaiah Oliver go one-on-one, -on -one and you can stack nine in the box in that situation and try to stop them. Because, to me, that's the only way you're going to be able to stop Cameron Balazs consistently in that he's a beast. And you have to be able to trust our outside corners who have been locked down to at least guard someone to the point that a running back isn't going to be able to throw wide-open passes to you. Um, I think they're hoping Manny Wilkins plays. That's their best chance to win the game from what it sounds like. But hobbled is always tough. I mean, if he takes one bad hit, it could be over quick for him. Uh, and having a true freshman come into Folsom in a night game for the, when we've been relevant for the first time in a while, throwing against those corners, I think, is a recipe for a serious, serious disaster for Arizona State. So I think they're going to ask Manny Wilkins to play if he's not I've never seen somebody come back from a high ankle sprain in two weeks and look close to 100%. I've never seen that. Long Live Ralphie had this to say. How much of the defensive improvement can be attributed to Jim Levitt, or is it also a mix of Levitt, Joe Tumpkin, and Mike McIntyre, effectively three defensive coordinators, that has made such a significant impact? Uh, we've answered questions like this in the previous ones, and my answer is always the same. It's a combination of all three, plus the fact that we have veterans on the defense now. We're not playing 18-year-old kids at linebacker and secondary. We're playing 22-year-old men. That's the biggest impact, in my opinion, not to take anything away from the coaching staff. Obviously, Levitt's schemes are important in what we do. McIntyre and Tumpkin are important in what we do as well. 
especially you can see that in the Keller Witherspoon's development. Guys like Jimmy Gilbert, Kenneth um, Ogbode obviously getting a lot better as well, plus the D-line. But to me, it's just a fact of we have guys who are 300 pounds on the D-line now. We have linebackers who have been playing for three, four years and know what they're doing. And we have NFL cornerbacks because they're all older in age. That obviously helps as well. Well put. Dorn09 asked, have you heard from any of our redshirt freshmen, if any of them are turning heads on scout team? That is actually a really, really good question and a question that I need to ask and find out about. I have not done digging. This is actually midway through the season. The time you kind of want to wait till until you start asking about guys that are redshirting and scout team. And Mike McIntyre honestly won't even ask, won't even answer that question right now because he's so focused on this team. But yeah. I'll, I'll try to turn over some rocks and find out, uh, you know, which guys that are, are redshirting are going to be pretty good. Uh, based off what we saw in camp, I think for the future you got to like Ronnie Blackman and his potential. He's one guy to mention there. Yeah, he's a guy that's still listed on the depth chart. So someone that they're obviously keying on in case of injury is a guy who might potentially play both at cornerback and. As a returner. Uh, outside of that, Johnny Hartley's actually playing for the team, and so is Bo Bisharad, but not on a not a lot of snaps, shall yeah. we say. So I think those are two other guys who are technically not redshirting, but I think that they have enough confidence in them going forward that you'll start to see them get more snaps in their sophomore campaign. With Cheeto Veowuze and Akilah Witherspoon both being seniors, I definitely expect Ronnie Blackman to be a starter next year. Next question comes from Wyndon Buff. It was great to see the Buffs with a chance to win late last week, but from my view, we looked pretty overmatched talent-wise against SC. Are there any other teams the rest of the year that will look like that? Washington's not on the schedule, so yeah. probably not. Uh, I mean, yeah, Stanford and UCLA obviously have four- and five-star guys just like USC does, not on the same scale. And Stanford obviously is in a down here. I mean, you can see that we match up better than, with them than I think we were anticipating to. UCLA kind of the same thing. If Josh Rosen shows up, they can be really dangerous. Their defense has obviously got a lot of talent, especially in the secondary. But um, I think USC is probably the most talented team outside of Michigan we'll see on the schedule this year. Um, I think their 3-3 three and three record is still kind of tricking some people into thinking that that's not a good football team. I think they're going to end up probably 8-4, and four, maybe end up ranked. Um, and out, again, outside of that Utah uh, loss, they, they're, you know, they'd be four and two with losses to Stanford and Alabama, not the end of the world. So I think that Utah loss is really what's turning people off about them right now. Buck Walters asked about the tight ends. He said, "Will we ever use them in the passing game? Hard to recruit that position when you don't use it." Just me on a rant. Would love your guys' opinion. I kind of go back and forth here. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're moving the football. Yeah. doesn't matter how much you're using the tight end. And the tight end is a, a very important part of the scheme from a blocking standpoint. Uh, and, I, and when you're going up tempo, unless you have a real, real special pass-catching talent at tight end, you want to have four receivers out there. And it, I think with, with the offense that they're running right now, it's working just fine not having the tight end be a big part of the passing game. Yeah, I honestly think with Chevrini and Lindgren, they're going to get the guys who are the most talented to football. If you end up getting a Josh follow or another tight end, like a Sire Woods is a guy that we've looked at as well, a guy that they really think can help this offense from a dynamic standpoint, they'll get him the ball. I don't think they're, I don't think Josh Fowler's going to end up not coming here because we don't throw to the tight ends. Sean Irwin helps us the most in the run game. Um, not a vertical threat, really. Not a great fit for our offense. I mean, I'd like to see them use them a little bit more as a wrinkle, perhaps, but I don't think it's really going to affect recruiting. And even if it does, tight end isn't exactly the position I'm the most worried about at this point. I guess I would say it'd be, you know, in terms of priorities, that would be pretty well on the list. I will 
would like to see as Dylan Keeney continues to develop, him get more opportunities to get on the field. We had a brief sighting of him in that Oregon State game. He is a pretty talented guy. Um, still kind of polishing him up a little bit, though. Seabardine had this to say. Saw some extra guys in the backfield last week for protection. Do you expect to see any new wrinkles to handle the blitz from ASU better? How much is on the offensive line? How much on the quarterback? Figure we will see more blitzing until we show we can beat it. As Mike McIntyre said, ASU is going to be blitzing coming off the bus, so this is a, a key storyline going into this football game. Definitely. I feel like this is a Devin Ross game and a Jay McIntyre game for that reason. You're going to have to get the ball out early, and if you get those guys keyed up on linebackers, we win. So if you get the ball out, uh, don't get the ball deflected. That's how you stop the blitz. You let Devin Ross get out in space and burn somebody for a 60-yard down the field, they're going to stop blitzing pretty quick. Uh, the offensive line obviously can't miss their protections. George Frazier, uh, Kyle Evans, Philip Lindsay, those guys have to hit their blocks as well. You don't want to get the quarterbacks injured or put them in a bad position. But to me, you hit a few of those slants, the blitzes start coming less and less frequently. All right, Colorado Rules asked, why is Jace Frankie trying to play nose tackle at 260 pounds? Kafavalu didn't start versus USC. I think our D-line starters are getting worn out a bit. They like Frankie being a change of pace to Josh Tupo. I think when you've got a big 330 pounder, whatever Josh Tupo's weighing today, it seems to fluctuate a little bit. Um, and then you bring in a speedy guy like Jace Frankie, and you know, maybe more so in passing downs. Um, they can kind of, could just again be another thing that you, uh, another team has to game plan for. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of a concern. 260 is not a guy you want playing most tackle. I see what they're trying to do, but he did get punished a little bit against USC when they had him in there. Uh, it's also a product of him just being a younger guy. Uh, they have a pretty decent six man rotation, even seven man rotation on the D line right now. I think that'll continue. There's a little concern about them, about them being tired, but USC just they can do that to you. Uh, I think more than anything else, the rest of the guys on the schedule outside of Stanford are not really going to punish you in that way. Uh, Arizona State's probably going to have to try to a little bit, but I'm not really sure they're the most physical group outside of Balazs. Uh So we'll see how it, how it plays out, but I think we'll use the linebackers a little bit more to try to fit those gaps. And uh, speaking of linebackers, Pikla asked, who will get more time at outside linebacker this week against Arizona State, jo uh, N.J. Fowler or Ryan Moeller? Just from the experience standpoint, I would want to see Ryan Moeller out there. Um, again, you, you like the fact that guys like N.J. Fowler, you can bring along a little slower. That was not a luxury you had in the past. But continue to work him in, sprinkle him in, in into the to the rotation a little bit, but I think Ryan Muller has done fairly well in that role since he's moved up to the yeah. line scrimmage. Yeah, definitely. I love what Ryan Muller has done so far. Obviously a little bit undersized, so we'll see how it works out with Balazs. You want a little more size there occasionally, especially on the short yard situations perhaps. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of a snap count, if that's what the ultimate the question is, I think you have to expect Muller to be the guy who plays more snaps. Smashbound Buff asked, is Michael Atkins permanently in the doghouse, or will he be given more carries in the upcoming games? I still think he's the most talented running back on the roster and would serve the team well running between the tackles. He's definitely somewhat still in the doghouse, but also part of that is that they like the rotation they have right now. And I don't think unless one of those guys gets hurt, which the running back position at some point, you're just not going to go through a whole season with all those guys healthy. I think Michael Atkins will get his chance. I don't know if it'll be next week or week 12, but I think there will be an opportunity for him. But uh, it's going to have to take another guy struggling, struggling or getting hurt for that to happen. Definitely. Uh, kind of how they used Joe Missy in an interesting package last week in that game. I think you could see maybe 
they'll run out Michael Atkins for a series or two somewhere along the way. But I do think he's pretty clearly in third place right now, uh, if not fourth, between Donovan Lee. Donovan Lee's been struggling. Most of the time he comes in, he's got negative yards on his plays. It's been kind of interesting to watch that play out. Uh, so I think you can see Atkins move up to a more third-type role, and they use Lee more as a specialist. But yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I can't figure out why we continue to be disappointed in what Kyle Evans and Philip Lindsay have done. They've done nothing to prove to me that they shouldn't be the guys playing. Simple as that to me. Tenez8898 asked, we have NFL caliber corners. Why don't we send the house and blitz more often to hit up the other team's quarterback or give them happy feet? Uh, I think we should, but honestly, in the times that I've seen it happen, it hasn't worked that well. So I guess I'm contradicting myself to some degree. Uh, you got to get to the quarterback in those situations. I do trust Oliver. I do trust Cheeto. I do trust Akella Weatherspoon. But if you're going to set in the house, you got to hit somebody. Last week, you kind of corrected me. The game plan against USC, I said you got to rattle that freshman quarterback. But when other teams are getting the ball out quick, you yeah. don't have much of a choice there. Exactly. And you kind of saw that come into play a little bit with USC. You kind of have to play. I mean, there's no, you're not getting to the quarterback in time when they get the ball out that quick. You have to try to get into the backfield on the outside of the perimeter uh, to mess with USC's receivers. And also getting to the backfield on run support. We didn't do either of those things in that game. You saw them be successful. I think that's where you really have to uh, be. You have to be aware of that's what's going on. Catnip Power asked, if you guys were hot dogs, would you eat yourself? Uh, not a big hot dog guy. If I was brownies and mint chip ice cream, though, I would for sure eat myself. You know if I was GQ barbecue, <laughs> I would also eat myself. You know who had the best answer to this question? The Will Ferrell version of Harry Carey. Hey, if you were a hot dog <laughs> and you were starving, would you eat yourself? <laughs> what? I know I would. First, I'd smother myself with brown mustard and relish. I'd be so delicious. So would you? I don't know. Don't jerk me around, Norm. It's a simple question. A baby could answer it. If you were a hot dog and you were starving, would you eat yourself? I guess so. Oh, you made a wise choice, my friend. Ralphie's run and asked, would you consider this a must-win game? Yes, I said that before the season, that this was the most important game on the schedule to me. Talked about it a little bit on the podcast, podcast earlier as well. UCLA and Stanford coming up. More winnable games than we thought. Still would not put a ton of money on us winning both or one of those games at this point. Arizona State is vulnerable, uh, both offensively and defensively. It's at home. They have dominated us in the past. This is the time to switch that around. Got to win the game. It's a must-win game if you're going to win the South. I think there's different ways to look at this. It's not necessarily a must-win game, but you can still accomplish a lot of your goals this season. I know Colorado's goal within the locker room is to win the Pac-12 South, but you talk about our preseason expectations. You can still have a successful season and, and lose this football game. Yeah, I mean, if you lose this game, though, you have to feel pretty non-confident in terms of uh, UCLA and Stanford, and then all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball. And Washington State's been playing really well lately. Utah's obviously 5-1. and one. There's not a whole lot of big-time winnable games down the stretch if, if you allow this one to slip away. So to me, you win this game, you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself a bowl game. Uh, that would be a nice cushion to have in terms of your schedule. LJ Buff 04 had a question. Adam, has there been any issues in practicing on the new field? 
Do they have enough space? What can you say about Mac and your personal dealings with him? You mentioned in the last podcast how you have no respect for Dan Hawkins. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little and what you've experienced in working with Mac. Thanks. In terms of the practice field, it has not been an issue because the indoor facility is literally the door is right there to go from the outdoor field to the indoor field. So at times they can go offense outside, defense inside, and then when they go to team period, they can bring it all together either inside or outside. It hasn't been an issue um, at all. I don't want to rehash anything about Dan Hawkins today. I'm in too good of a mood, Tyler. I got some great barbecue in my belly. Uh, we're talking about a game which we expect Colorado to win. Um, Dan Hawkins is, is, is part of the, the passing. Yeah, I don't respect him as a man. He's one of very few people. Uh, it's been lucky. I've been covering CU for what, 13, 14 years now, and the number of people that I don't respect, I can count on one hand. That's, that's pretty cool. Mike McIntyre, I have a ton of respect for, uh, especially the way he built the program. He didn't try to cut corners. He came in, and he knew it was going to be a long haul, and he's done things the right way. And uh, he's, he's a good man off the field. Uh, I've had great dealings with him. I mean, certainly when he's having to deal with us every day, we're having to deal with him every day, he's maybe not going to like some of the questions we throw his way. And maybe some, you know, some days he might be happier and, and more engaging than others, but he's got a lot on his plate. I certainly don't begrudge him for that ever. Tyler, what are your thoughts on Mike McIntyre? Yeah, I mean, in my limited dealings with him, he's always been really great to me. Uh, doesn't have a whole lot of reason to talk to me, but has recognized me from being out there with you all the time. Comes up, ribs me for, I had a, I had a hat on from a company called Dope. Um, <laughs> That's during, right. During fall camp, and he just came up out of nowhere while we were talking. He was just like, hey, is that about your personality or uh, or, or the stuff they smoke around here or whatever he said? <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's just a t-shirt company, but he's just giving me a hard time. Um, I remember one time he was giving me crap about about a uh, Cavs hat that I was wearing at practice too, yeah. talking about LeBron. He's just a cool guy. I mean, uh, not too many coaches come up out of their way to say hi to me, even though they, you know, they recognize me. Tad is the same way. Rodney Phillips is definitely the same way. We just come up and say hi um, out of nowhere. That's pretty awesome. Those are the guys that I respect. I obviously don't expect that out of any of them, but to just come up and say hi uh, in recognition of somebody who's around the program a lot is pretty cool for me personally. Definitely more down to earth than about 95% of college head coaches for sure. We're, we're lucky in that sense. So you mentioned Tad Boyle as well. Uh, us media members, in terms of our the off-the-record interactions with these coaches, is pretty great right now. So hopefully both those guys have success and stay around Colorado for a really, really long time. MF Buff had this to say. This one is for you, Adam, and this is not meant to be inflammatory question whatsoever. All right. As an ASU alumni who has covered the Buffs for over a decade, do you root for one team over another? Or as a professional journalist, do you try to keep objective, but you really deep down are a Sun Devil at heart, or you are a true convert? Either way, I appreciate what you do, day in and day out. It was interested in your point of view. Again, this is not meant to be disrespectful at all. No disrespect taken there, MJ Buff. Uh, yeah, so to answer your question, I try to keep professional but deep down I'm a true convert obviously no one wants to you to do better than me um, kind of going I think I've, I don't know if I've shared this story I think I have but it's been a long time I actually grew up we would take uh, family ski trips out to Colorado and I, I remember seeing Ralphie you know on a license plate one day and something about just Colorado and the Buffaloes and enjoying our vacations out here I started you know watching Colorado and I remember telling my parents at one point that I wanted to go to CU. But when I was uh, going into my senior year of high school out there in the Phoenix area, 
I was looking at what it would cost to go to CU yeah. and what it would cost to stay in state. I ended up paying $1,400 a semester, and I had to, I got some help from my dad and stepmom, but I pretty much had to pay my way through college. Uh, I would still be in a mountain of debt had I gone to Colorado. And the ironic thing there is, had I not gone to Arizona State, I wouldn't have gotten my foot in the door working, covering Arizona State basketball for rivals, and I wouldn't have maybe had the opportunity to get the Colorado gig to move out here. So it all kind of worked out. You know, when I was a student there, I got into to writing and I was covering the basketball program. I already kind of got into that unbiased, trying to learn to, to watch games and not be super biased. So I kind of set up well. Um, when I think back to my times at Arizona State, I don't think about going to games and all that stuff. I think about the house parties, the girls. I think about a lot of things that were awesome about Arizona State, but don't really think about the Sun Devils football program. Before I actually went to school there, I enjoyed watching Jake Plummer play football there. I mean, I, how could you not? That guy was so electric as a quarterback. Pat Tillman was on that football team. They had that magical run to the Rose Bowl. So I, I and I, I don't, I don't secretly cheer for Arizona State. It's just, it's, it's been easy too, I think, because covering Colorado, and, and them struggling all these years. I've had all my college buddies ribbing me for it for a long time, and it kind of got under my skin. So that's a really long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, but, I was MF buff. I was not expecting you to get the true answer, and I was going to suggest that you come find me, and I'll give you the real answer off, <laughs> off the podcast. But Adam, coming out with the truth today, so lucky you. But, you know, Tempe is a pretty cool place. Oh, it definitely is. There's no doubt about that. I would have gone to school there, but I'm glad that I didn't in hindsight. <laughs> Again, you got to go back to the girls at Arizona yeah. State. My lord, Tyler. Yes, pretty good. <laughs> All right, that's it for the mailbag. Let's transition into the Tyler Ziskin Pac-12 power rankings going in reverse order. Yes, this conference is such a cluster, man. These are kind of worthless at this point because everyone, you could just rank everyone. 1A, 1B, <laughs> Washington 1 and everyone else. Yeah, that's 12. right. That's right. And, and it would be totally fine. Um, well, before you could jump into this, what's crazy though, Colorado, uh, Tyler, is I have a better sense. Well, you, have the most, you have the best sense for Washington. You can make an argument. You have a better sense for Colorado than basically any other team in the oh, conference sure. at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I switched it up a lot this week just because we're basically getting pretty repetitive. Okay. So I have Oregon last. Okay. Um, until they prove me wrong, they've gotten demolished in the past two weeks and deserve to be sitting there for now. One of only two teams that are 0-3 in the conference. Arizona, that other team that's 0-3 in the conference. But at least they took Washington to overtime. Yeah. Oregon lost by about $10 billion. <laughs> So Arizona gets the tiebreaker for me in that one. Uh, California at number 10, uh, losing to Oregon State last weekend. Uh, no comment on the rest of that, but sorry about that, Davis Webb. Uh, Ryan Nall would be slowed in that game. Yeah, well, it's amazing what happens when you let him get ahead of steam, man. Uh, Oregon State, number 9. That was a solid win, but I'm not going to get too crazy here. Uh, I have UCLA, number 8 right now. Uh, there's a big cluster here. I have a number eight. They lost to Stanford, who's looked terrible. Um, to me, they, I mean, I don't know. They, they have not, they've been unimpressive in pretty much all of their games so far. I kind of expected them to turn it on, and so far they haven't done it. So I'm punishing them for making me look bad like they always do. Uh, Stanford, number seven. I wouldn't have said that going into the uh, preseason. It's been pretty ugly for them. Their offense looks broken. I'm not sure how fixable it is, especially with Christian McCaffrey questionable to even play this week. 
Uh, actually, I have Colorado at number six this week. A, because I had them a little high. I'll explain it. I don't really think they're the sixth best team in the league, but at some point we have to give credit to the teams that are winning games ahead of us. So I have it broken down this way. Um, Arizona State, I currently have sitting at number five. Five and one. Don't really trust them, obviously, but they are ranked at the moment. Uh, you know, at some point you got to give them some credit for winning the football games. Did beat UCLA. Uh, have a better record than us overall right now. We'll see how it shakes out this weekend. Um, I have USC sitting at number four. Probably surprising for some people, but they have beaten Arizona, destroyed Arizona State. Um, also destroyed, or also beat Colorado. Um, even though they lost to Stanford, it's hard to say that with the way things are going right now, Stanford deserves to be ahead of them. So I have them at number four. Uh, Washington State, number three. Huge rise in the rankings. Don't really buy this, but again, have to give credit where it's due. They've been playing well the last few weeks, and no one else really has been playing that well at all uh, among the teams I've mentioned before. So I'm going to bump them up to number three right now. Utah at number two, again, kind of a last resort type thing. There's someone's got to be at number two in these power rankings. Utah 5-1, beat USC, who's been playing pretty well. Uh, been playing pretty solid overall, have a couple solid Ws. I don't think they're really a 5-1 football team, but until proven otherwise, they have to be up there at this point. And then, of course, the obvious at number one, Washington. Dear Lord, that team is good. And I think if you're, especially, you know, Colorado being in the South Division, it's okay to be a big-time Washington fan because that's yeah. obviously the only hope that the Pac-12 has of getting a team in the playoff this year. And it, it's tough with that nine-game schedule every year that you know, the Pac-12 has. They kind of beat each other up. It's, this year, you want to see that one team kind of emerge from our conference to, to, to represent. Yeah, I mean, you have to feel pretty good about their chances right now. There doesn't look like there's a ton of really talented teams around the country, and Washington looks pretty poised to be undefeated uh, during this year. So I would think that if they're undefeated, they're going to get the nod just because I don't think there are going to be enough undefeated teams out there to really have a legitimate argument to push them out. Let's finish up here with maybe a little men's basketball talk. There's going to be an open scrimmage at the Coors Event Center on Saturday afternoon. Tyler, you're still kind of debating as to whether you're going to make an appearance. I'll, yeah, be, I'll be in the building. We, we do a huge tailgate for homecoming, so I'm kind of disappointed in the timing of this whole situation. Like, there are a lot of people coming back into town that don't want to go watch CU practice in a basketball stadium, you know what I mean? There's a lot of guys that are trying to come out and have a good time with people they haven't seen in a long time. So we're expecting a huge amount of people at this tailgate. We're trying to figure out how we're going to make this work. I just wish they would have done it in the morning so people could come out early, get some breakfast, go to the scrimmage, and then start tailgating. That would work out perfectly for almost everybody that's coming up. Maybe I'm wrong and people will come to this, but I feel like homecoming is like the biggest tailgate of the year, home game-wise. And it would be nice if we'd be able to do it without having to run into the arena for two hours. Well, my advice, if there's other people in, that are in similar situations to you, Tyler, is that it sounds like um, doors open at two, right? Yeah. It sounds like they're going to practice for, for for about 45 minutes before they go and get in the scrimmage. So if you want to see more of the action, I would maybe pop in there about 2:40 or so. Yeah. And uh, you'll see them scrimmage a little bit there. We have to be kind of careful about what we talk about because what stays at practice is supposed to stay at practice. But I got to share one thing. Dallas Walton can Dallas Walton can actually, as a seven-footer, shoot three-pointers. I'm not saying he's Ray Allen, but it's kind of surprising to see a guy that big actually. Uh, you are three. you are saying he's Ray Allen. I see Ray Allen. It's a question mark and it's a joke, Tyler. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just teasing. No, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think he's a guy who's going to redshirt this year, so don't go crazy. See you, basketball fans. 
but uh, I was actually really impressed with him in the one practice that I was able to see. A lot more physically ready than I was expecting. I think he's going to end up being a really solid defensive player for us. He's going to have some offensive touch. Uh, he looks more ready to go than I expected, but I think it is smart for him to have the redshirt year just to get him fully healthy. He looks a little bit lopsided in terms of his strength right now. He's got to get those legs strong, make sure he's carrying that body weight. Later in the week, I'm going to have a video interview and an article upon Bryce Peters. And you guys are absolutely going to love this kid. I asked him at one point in the video, I'm like, is it is it okay to call you a free spirit? And he's like, oh, heck yeah, I'll talk to anybody. He's just like the most gregarious young guy ever. He is going to be a quote machine for the next four years. I respect that. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see Bryce Peters and Thomas Akizili play together. I feel like we're going to have some fun moments with those two on the court. Dominique Collier actually seems like he's made some strides. He's the one guy you, you almost kind of write off a little bit. Um, that would be huge for him if he can just be, I don't know what, what would you what would you want? Him to be an average starting point guard in the Pac-12? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you can be in the middle of the road, kind of cater his game a little bit more as a, a passer. Uh, he doesn't finish that well in the lane. He just doesn't have the athleticism or the burst to really finish through contact uh, at his size. So to me, if he could just be a distributor, kind of a TJ McConnell type, obviously he's not going to be as good defensively, but... A guy who passes out a lot of assists, find guys on the perimeter. I think we could be really successful if he just kind of realized what he was in that role and really took it to heart and became successful. I'm going to be out at Pac-12 Men's Basketball Media Day. It worked out perfectly. It's on Friday out in San Francisco right before the Stanford game, so I can fly out there and, and cover both. I'm pretty excited about that. Wesley Gordon will be, be representing the Buffaloes at that. That's going to be interesting. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I'm I, excited. Troy Andre, the uh, men's basketball SID, is like, yeah, it's my job to, to basically be his chauffeur that weekend. I'm like, You've got a job to do. <laughs> yes, that should be interesting for sure. Um, I love Wesley. Don't get me wrong. This is not meant to be disrespectful at all. He is just a oh, different cat. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think he would tell you that as well. Uh, he's interesting to listen to. He's a funny dude for sure. Uh, real, just throw it out there real quick. What do you think the preseason polls are going to say about the bus? Oh, gosh. Uh, I have not looked at the preseason publications, but they've got to be a top 25, don't they? I would think in terms of nationally, they'll be right on the cusp. It seems like they always are. But Between the, 20 and 25 is where I would put them. But in the Pac-12, I kind of feel like we're going to be underrated somehow. Like I, feel, I see us being picked like fifth or sixth, which I would love. People may be overanalyzing the loss of Josh Scott. Yeah. You can doubt what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I think. You know, yeah, people don't know who Derek White is outside of Boulder right, yeah. or you know, Colorado. No reason to, for sure. So I think, I think honestly, that we're going to be a little bit underrated coming in the season, which is exactly where I want to be. I have seen a few national writers talk up the buffs. They, 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 they respect Tad Boyle. Rossi they respect the heck out of him. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rick George had a, a meeting with the media earlier this week, and he's really making a push to try to get fans in their seats. He's recommending that they get in there 60 minutes before kickoff. Is this a realistic goal? Will this ever happen at the University of Colorado? Definitely not. I mean, but even getting a few thousand more people in early would be great. I did see that students can enter at any um, section now, which is really cool. Uh, I think that'll help, especially because they all try to come in at the same time and speed things up a bit. Uh, I am going to be closing out our tailgate a little bit early to get people over there. want to see Ralphie, night game, you know, all that stuff. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be getting over there early. But no, it's unrealistic to have everybody in their seats now before the game. That'll never happen. And he mentioned this is the first time in the school's history 
that they have uh, had all of their fall teams ranked at some point. Yeah, uh, I think all of them are still getting votes currently. They're not all ranked, but at least getting votes. That's pretty crazy. Uh, a lot of evidence about all people like, ah, Colorado doesn't belong in the Pac-12. Well, not too many teams around the country have every single fall sport ranked at some point, I'm pretty sure. It's a great time to be a Colorado Buffalo. Should be a fun atmosphere out of Folsom Field Saturday night. I want to thank GQ for feeding us today. Definitely come down here. And uh, thanks for all of you for tuning in.